Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, in what is yet another selfish endeavor on my part, (laughs) uh, my continued first-time exploration of Silent Hill series, this time we're celebrating Silent Hill Homecoming's 15th anniversary. Developed by Double Helix Games, this sixth installment in the series follows Alex Shepard, a soldier returning from war to his hometown of Shepard's Glen, only to discover that his younger brother and father are missing and the town is flooded with, you guessed it, fog and monsters. So out of the Silent Hill games that we've covered so far, Neil, uh, this is probably the most, I don't know about controversial, but this would definitely be the Silent Hill title that is more up in the air in terms of how the fandom received it. Mm. And I think that that is probably uh, an indication mostly notable by this being more action-oriented. So in the previous Silent Hill games, I had found that combat was never the element that I thought was a strength of the series, right? We've kind of had this conversation in the past, whether, uh, you know, which do you prefer in terms of Resident Evil or Silent Hill? Well, I had said that Silent Hill was telling stories in a way that I found was more in line with my interest with psychological horror, whereas Resident Evil had been more, you know, combat had been, I suppose, more rewarding, or it was the type of thing where it was not as melee-focused as the Silent Hill games had been. And, you know, with Silent Hill, the combat I had found to be, I hesitate to say janky, but definitely a byproduct, I think, of the time that it was developed, and it did not necessarily age as well as the other elements of that game. I'm sure, uh, you know, Silent Hill purists will be pitchforks and whatnot for me this week. But in getting into Homecoming, you know, this being more action oriented, I'm curious for you as somebody that's experienced much more of the Silent Hill series than I have, um, you know, what was your first sort of impression of this more action oriented uh, approach to Silent Hill? Well, you know, I always felt it necessary that it would eventually have to sort of evolve. But, you know, change in this series has always been a sticking point. I mean, we're still going on about and changing the combat with 
what Blue Batum are doing or Silent Hill 2, like, there's nothing to fix there, which clearly mm. it's like, you know, if, if you were going to change one thing, you know, Christ, make the combat a bit more pleasant in, in a yeah. way, <laughs> if you were. But um, so what I would say for this one is, you know, it, it's more in-depth, as we know, but I still think it, it kind of stays quite close to that sort of heavy, violent sort of melee that we've always come to know, even if it was unwieldy. You know, it at least punctuated the game by being, you know, violent and visceral in how it does it. You know, it felt like a, a last resort, you know, to do it. Um, you know, one of the things that's introduced here is like, you know, wounds on the creatures that you attack as well. You know, so you have that and that kind of adds to it a bit. And this, you know, grisly sort of finishing move stuff like the boot as well, which you know, is... Yeah, no, I think the game that came to mind around that time, you know, now thinking back, because I hadn't played it, you know, as we know, was uh, Condemned Criminal Origins, you know, which obviously was another game around this time that was having that sort of, you know, very grim, crunchy combat and in a very dark, dank, you know, horrible environment. And, you know, it, it's interesting to look at the comparison points here because it, this is a little more shall we say, arcadey in nature to that compared mm. to that. But the Silent Hill, I think it's probably the best compromise you, you could have had at that point. I think what doesn't help it is lots of other things that go around it. The combat on its own, I think, is not the real reason it ended up being a point of contention. I think it was more like the presentation of it uh, and the presentation of the game itself, I think, a lot of times was the driving factor behind a lot of the divisive talk around this game and combat just happened to tie into a bit because it was a change and i think also it comes back to this whole thing about western studios handling this franchise you know this was the second game to be done by a western studio you know the origins was like you know a prequel so you're not really touching anything in the established order too much but this, you know, was the first sort of new story post Silent Hill sort of thing. And that kind of like, it was like doubling down on the, we didn't want this, we didn't want this sort of thing. And, you know, as we know very well, gaming fans are very reasonable, well-meaning people a lot of the time. And <laughs> they, they certainly don't get up in arms about the tiniest little changes to anything at all. So it undoubtedly went down well and this game was obviously a great hit uh, in so many ways <laughs> well you know i suppose being someone that was never sort of at odds with the more action-oriented approach that you know inevitably resident evil 4 would take right and that being this big shake-up like as somebody that was always on board with that i think that's probably why when i actually sat down and finally got to play homecoming i thought that the sort of uh, the concessions that are made in making this feel more impactful in terms of combat, making it feel more personable, not just the fact that, you know, there is more instances of combat, but the fact that the camera pushes in, that mm. you can lock onto targets, that you have this light and heavy uh, attack patterns and that you can dodge incoming blows and swipes in these things. So all of that, I think, actually makes this game from a actual traditional gameplay standpoint, um, a lot more engaging. And 
it wasn't the type of thing that I was doing with the past entries of Silent Hill. When I could help it, I was avoiding combat or was I mm. fleeing combat. And granted, part of that is that the game doesn't allow you to skip some combat segments. Some combat segments are quite literally required to progress, which was not always the case with past Silent Hill games. But by and large, you know, I wasn't fleeing from engagements because I a was not solely reliant on you know ammo count. Yeah. Um, which, if anything, you know, this game is very much more melee focused. Yeah. Um, in a big way, considering you have, you know, five or six different melee weapons, and then I like the fact that they give those uh, different weapons even more importance past combat because they actually play into environmental traversal in some mm. ways, where you have to, you know, pry open gates or you have to cut through paintings or tapestry to progress through certain parts of the environment. And I don't know. I thought that overall, some of the things that you were saying, like. The fact that you get to actually see the blows on enemies and the cuts and scrapes and things from the directional uh, that you've been attacking them from, like yeah. that gives Silent Hill's combat the brutality that I would say finally parallels maybe the emotional brutality that the protagonists themselves are typically dealing with in these games in a way that, you know, it was a little more unflinching and having you be right in sort of the thick of combat, um, I thought made it more impactful in a way that was pretty satisfying. Granted, I will say once you have to, in some instances, end up fighting more than two enemies, that system becomes a little cumbersome, especially mm. in tight-knit uh, sections, right? So sometimes you're going to be fighting multiple cultists or you're fighting multiple you know, monsters at a given time. And that's when combat can be cumbersome and at times a little erratic, yeah. spe specifically with the camera and locking onto things. But you know, I thought that Combat while, you know, 15 years later, sure, it's a, a tad simplistic in terms of being very much a byproduct of the era in which it came out. But in terms of making that drastic leap in the presentation of combat, I didn't have a lot of uh, notes for it outside of, you know, the immediacy of being in the moment of combat. Yeah. And the thing to remember here is for the character, it fits that he's more combat orientated yes. because, you know, he is a former special forces soldier so unlike you know, previous protagonists who are just every man with some violent tendencies this is someone with violent tendencies that used it for a job and you know, was making it work for them so it makes a bit more sense that combat is at the forefront of his mind and psychologically why that would be represented in the silent hill that he gets to be a parcel because you know after all that's what the game is about it's about the, each person's interpretation of silent hill a sticking point, I think, for many people when they latched on to Silent Hill 2 was that, you know, that they had a very clear idea of what Silent Hill 2 was meant, that everything should be like that. Mm. And it can't be because it's got to be different for everyone. You know, this is why a lot of the biggest flaws in the series going forward are when they just try to copy things that are done before, when you bring Pyramid Head back into the, or in the case of this game, where you take on the visage of Christoph Gans's film, you know, a lot of the time in terms of the transition between the worlds, it, that stuff takes away from Silent Hill. But, you know, but having different combat systems and different interpretations of Silent Hill and how it's presented and what the psychological horror in it is, they can be open to interpretation. And I think that's something that was unfairly derided at this game. I think, again, just coming from the point of it was because it was a Western studio handling it, I think. Um, that's a whole other problem. 
for this franchise. You know, it's just the way it was handled beyond a certain point. It happens to all franchises at some point. We know this. We've talked about Resident Evil doing this, you know, and having its lapse in concentration and judgment. Um, unfortunately, Silence Hills kind of went on a bit longer. And yeah. the fact that we're talking about this game, you know, and I talked about this game back on Bloody Disgusting back in the day, you know, five years ago when it was the 15th or what? Yeah. 10th, sorry. The 10th anniversary. Sorry, Christ. Mm. Now we're off <laughs> And <laughs> see time too much, um, yeah. And even then, just it was still a contentious point to be positive about this game. But you would get people sort of get it and go, yeah, no, I like it for this, that, the other. Like, I think a certain amount of time has to pass between each entry before people are kind of mellow on it a bit. You know, downpour finally started getting like some appreciation from people after that. A while, but at the time it was like you know the death knell. It's terrible. It's evil. It's awful, like that. And it's just a lot of that early sort of social media bollocks that we got from people that has never really gone away. But you you can kind of be contrary with these things now, and it doesn't matter. But then you know to to actually say anything like that was like you were asking to be you know burned at the stake, effectively, to suggest that there might be another good game. In the Silent Hill series, beyond the first three, <laughs> and to be fair to you, there's no real semblance of time in Silent Hill, right? That's mm. kind of <laughs> the big thing where it's just like, oh man, like uh, no semblance of how much time has passed, what has occurred, and whatnot. But um, no, I think that you know, for me at least, and you know, I suppose in some ways, I have a luxury of coming to a series late. Mm. I'm more or less expecting incremental changes with, you know, these periodic time jumps between entries in the series. So while, you know, I still need to go back and play the room, I'm more open, I think, to changes in the series because we're getting different flavors of a continuation of a franchise that when franchises get as long as Silent Hill, something like Silent Hill or Resident Evil, you know, you're going to be getting different developers, you're going to be getting different visions for a type of experience taking place there. So I think in that regard, I'm probably more open to the idea of a more action-oriented, more combat-focused, something that, you know, from a narrative standpoint, definitely jumps the shark in terms of the significance of the monsters for the main sort of enemies that you're fighting. I'll say this game, perhaps better than any Silent Hill game since Silent Hill 2, you know, that I've played, has more significance to the mo- to the boss fights, mm. I think, which is something that I want to dive into in a minute. Um, you know, giving more significance to the the bosses and you know the sort of background of them, rather than perhaps just you know, well, this monster is a boss because it fills up the whole screen and it's terrifying, which you know is not uh, a slight against past boss designs in Silent Hill, but at the same time, Homecoming, I think, definitely takes a bit more sort of legwork in establishing that significance and why overall like these monsters and bosses are not just notable because you know they're larger than life it's like oh no there's a little bit more to them um but i will say one aspect of the more action-oriented combat focus of this game that bleeds out of those instances of fighting you know one two or three monsters at a time is the quick time events which are very brief, but at the same time, like they pop up quite frequently, quite literally the game opens with a moment where, you know, and it's a pretty cool bit because, you know, Alex is waking up in this 
what is effectively like a mental hospital and it has this real Jacob's Ladder kind of energy to it, which I was yeah. definitely a fan of. Um, but it's like him breaking out of his restraints and it's like tap A as hard as possible. And I was like, oh, fuck. I hope this isn't an indication of uh, what's going to be down the road. And then, you know, I basically broke the A button while playing this game because of all of the quick time events of like <laughs> trying to pry things open or trying to, you know, using a crank or something like that, which... Remember that era of gaming. <laughs> I can't I can't hold the game like its feet too close to the fire for that because at the same time, it was very indicative of the period in which it was developed in. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, okay, this is an element that is so foreign to the idea of Silent Hill in general. And, you know, later on, it plays into environmental traversal as well, because some there's an entire section basically when you're in, you know, the hell world where you're, you know, of course, in typical Silent Hill fashion, you're descending into the different levels of hell and it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And the amount of gaps I had to jump or the amount of ladders I had to climb in or the amount of things that I had to use the uh, quick time events to kind of get past. I was just like, oh my God, just let me traverse this world in a way that doesn't feel nearly as uh, intrusive, I suppose. But yeah. um, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to talk about the bosses, though, because this was a feature that was, you know, as somebody that loves monster designs and whatnot, um, I was really impressed with the fact that for some of the criticisms I read about this game, again, you know, the story could be considered a bit bland overall when you compare it to some of the past protagonists and their backgrounds and whatnot. And we'll, you know, dive into that more in a bit. Um, the fact though, that each of these boss fights has a greater significance to the story itself. And the fact that you learn that, you know, of course, in typical Silent Hill fashion, there is a cult that is involved and the cult itself has been, you know, requiring people from the town to basically sacrifice their firstborn son. So that way they will, you know, appease this God, which, you know, in typical fashion, the god is uncaring of their devotion, as we see with uh, the first sort of major character that gets killed. Um, but overall, you know, I thought that the boss fights in this had more strategy involved in them mm. than some of the past ones that I had experienced. But more importantly, again, you know, their design is indicative of the sort of heartbreak, I suppose, that is associated with the tragedy of these parents that have murdered their child and then these monsters, basically, their children, unfortunately, get this second life that is this hellish creation here. Yeah, and yeah, I love that sort of dark explanation for why they are and you know, how it's represented in what they are, who they are, even like the achievements you get kind of linked to like the method of death for them. And you know, the revenge they kind of get in places as well is like you know, an echo of what has happened to them. Yeah, and yeah. As far as monster design goes, these are some of the most interesting. You know, like, I mean, nowadays you could look at a lot of them and sort of nod and go, "Yeah, okay, yeah, I've seen something like that before." But I think at the time, they were quite interesting designs. I think uh, one of the big things that is a point of contention that I can kind of agree with in terms of the series is. The fact that there are bosses like this, you know, in the way that it's structured means that it's a lot harder to swallow as a Silent Hill fan because bosses don't really need to be, you know, in the same way in this series. So when you have like a set of them, it makes it a bit of a problem, I suppose, if you are sort of invested in this original idea and ideal of what that is. But that being said, 
I think here they make a really good case for having them at all, you know, in terms of the story and the connection to the story that, that these characters have, the design of the monsters themselves, and just the pure tragedy of, of each one, yeah. I think, is so important. You know, I think, you know, Asphyxia is like a really <laughs> yeah. fucked up design, you know, like that. Where one of those where you look at it once and you go, uh, you almost feel like you're looking at two images spliced together, you know, because it, it, the sort of double body thing of it. Oh, sorry, I've got some problem. But sorry. Sudden adverts start playing. <laughs> sorry, sudden adverts start playing. Noise blaring away. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's a, re- a really cool thing to have about it that you do have these little backstories for each one and they all mean something to the main story. That's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, as much as it is a departure, again, you have to go back to the character involved and think, yeah, okay, it's more logical that it would have more confrontations and more you know, big bosses and big bads that you've got to take on. And putting them in the context of the story, you know, for the protagonist and the other characters in this, it's a really, really fitting way to go about it. Yeah, and, you know, that's a uh, a good shout-out for Asphyxia because the, when that boss presents itself – which is basically a centipede, but mm. is composed of the limbs of a child, is probably one of the most fucked up things I've seen in a Silent Hill game thus yeah. far. And the fact that, you know, you can get this far into the Silent Hill series and it still has these fucked up delights, uh, you know, I suppose depending on who some people are, they might not see them as delights, but, you know, as horror <laughs> fans, it's always nice to get thrown some kind of fucked up curveball such as that. And, you know, at the same time, it's nice to see that even though you have, you know, a Western developer getting involved, which is not inherently a bad thing, but as we've talked about in the past, you know, when you basically are handing over the set of keys to somebody that's either not attuned to horror primarily, mm-hmm. or they just, you know, there could be, uh, you know, the original vision for Silent Hill, you know, maybe perhaps culturally could get sort of uh, interpreted differently or something along those lines. Um, you kind of have those worries and to have a game like this that has as many boss fights as it does. And mm. I would say as original boss designs as any of the Silent Hill games up until this point um, is something that I think it made me more excited to want to go back and play some of the other Silent Hills. Like I said, The Room, uh, I had played Origins way back on the PSP and whatnot, but um, there's definitely a couple entries out there that I haven't played. But, you know, as somebody that just loves really creative and disturbing monster designs, something like Asphyxia, Scarlet, even uh, Sepulcher, I believe, who's the first one that you fight where you have to basically destroy those sacks on the ceiling before you can actually like get in there and get nice and personal with that monster. Um, It was nice to see monster designs that just were not sort of reliant on either, oh, this is a bullet sponge or this is one that goes underground and then you have to wait for it to pop its head up type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, something like Scarlet, you have to basically smash through the porcelain on its body before you can actually get to like the flesh mm. of what is supposed to be this fucked up sort of doll reincarnation of someone's daughter. Mm. Um, which again, you know, having that greater significance to it, I think those ended up being the moments of this game that stood out to me the most from a narrative standpoint. Um, just because of the fact that, you know, overall, maybe the narrative does not um, reach the same, I suppose, psychological horror levels that some of the past entries did. Um, But I think that overall, you know, just the fact that you have these boss fights, which 
as you said, could feel somewhat foreign to the idea of what Silent Hill is um, to give them that much more significance when, you know, as we've mentioned, the other monsters that you fight much more frequently have jumped the shark in terms of their sort of mm. significance. Um, it was nice to see this game have that kind of drive that, you know, I don't know that uh, we saw even in something like Silent Hill 3, which obviously is fantastic, Silent Hill 2 and whatnot. But um, it was nice to see that sort of uh, facet this late down the line in terms of this being the sixth entry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think compared to Origins, which felt a bit safer in terms of like yeah. the Western developer doing yeah, mm-hmm. an Eastern one game, yeah, especially being a prequel and really calling back to a lot of things. But here, yeah, it did just feel like the first stab at really doing a Western version. And I think we've discussed similar ideas when we were talking about um, DMC Devil May Cry, you know, which, again, yeah. a very Japanese series, finally getting a new entry from a Western developer. And there's a point of contention from those fans that are very much into the fact that they are Japanese games and want them to be portrayed in that way and i get that on a cultural level so much because you know there it's something about the way they are made and by the country that has made them that um shines through and of course you're going to lose something when a western developer does it you know like they, we, we see it more and more now that you get western developers taking on aspects of eastern culture into their games and you know, that comes up for more criticism now but here, it's. I think it, it does the right thing in trying to be more Western in all its approaches, right down to its protagonist being you know, an action-orientated protagonist in, in a very, you know, what's more American than the guy who's come back from some <laughs> war right. to deal with his personal trauma um, like that? And, yeah, so from the off, for me, I think it, it does that perfectly. It... it shows that it wants to be that kind of game and obviously there's so much you can't discuss with any sort of nuance when it comes to video games anyway especially franchise video games and it's we've been all been guilty of it i'm sure with certain franchises in the past where we we mutter and moan about change i've done that with resident evil for instance yeah but Sometimes you know, it's for the better, it's for the good. Either, you know, and if you can't get along with it, that's fine. It, it's going to be you leaving that franchise behind, so to speak. But here, yeah, it's just a victim of the times in that regard. I think it could have been a lot worse. But it's not to say there's not a problem with what a lot of this, yeah, you know, a lot of this game's presentation. I think is the big thing, but. I, I think otherwise it's got it it's got what it's going for and it it's not trying to be a japanese silent hill game well you know i think that that's probably why the more action-oriented nature works as well for me as it does because it feels like it is leaning into it having its you know a distinctive identity from the main entry silent hill games that came before it and if anything you know origins um was a good sort of bridge i suppose to prepare people for what the future of Silent Hill may look like, because a lot of the changes that are prevalent in Homecoming were slight sort of introductions in Origins. So, you know, you not only have 
the more uh, third person perspective, you're kind of abandoning that original fixed camera angle. Uh, combat had finishers, I believe, in origin. So it's in that instance, it's slight, but at the same time, it's like, okay, we're heading in a direction where we're seeing a shift in how gameplay plays out. And then you also have a few more notable changes in uh, Homecoming, which are things like dialogue choices. You've got a journal now, which, you know, I'm naming these things and they all sound, of course, like, (laughs) okay, these features are notable. Why? But people have to remember this was 2008 uh, when these were being introduced into Silent Hill, which, you know, at the time, I'm sure diehards were thinking like, this is blasphemy. But um, when I look at this series and its history, it just looks like, you know, adapting to the times. And if anything, I don't, I suppose, again, because I'm coming to the series late, I don't view it as sacrilege so much as just kind of like rolling with expectations of what people would, you know, be expecting from a Western developed game. Um, but also things like fully rotating camera and whatnot. Um, but, you know, something like a journal and being able to dive into information and storing sort of clues and whatnot, um, I suppose that might be the one where it's like the diehards are kind of just like, no, I had to write all this down when I was, you know, <laughs> getting those codes and whatnot for Silent Hill 2 and these things. Um, but, you know, I think, again, you know, when you talk about Origins being sort of the bridge to what the new, basically, generation of Silent Hill games might look like. Yeah. You know, you start to see some changes and whatnot. And if anything, Homecoming takes those and really owns them in a big way by, again, making combat um, front and center. But uh, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. I really want to chat a little bit more about how combat impacts the overall flow of the game. And we're going to dive, of course, into that narrative, um, Mm. which... I have a few thoughts on um, (laughs) in terms of comparing it to the uh, main trilogy of Silent Hill games and whatnot, but we'll chat about that more in a moment. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same Jersey as you to be your best. Every time you step on the field, that's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. And we are back from our break. And one thing that I want to lead with, um, which I didn't mention before the break, was I was really surprised by how well this game looks considering, um, you know, when you go back sometimes and you play some of those uh, backwards compatible games nowadays and you start to be able to see some of the shortcomings from a technological standpoint uh, from the period, which 
you know, I'm not going to take uh, most 15 year old games to task on if, you know, they haven't <laughs> aged the best in how they look. But, you know, there was something about homecoming and it adopting that real grainy aesthetic that has always been prevalent in Silent Hill, but I felt it was taken to the next step, if anything. And that really paired nicely with, I thought, those Jacob Ladder vibes that the game introduces very early on, um, which, if anything, you know, it allowed Silent Hill to have aged uh, better, I suppose, than my time with the HD collection yeah. uh, when I was playing through two and three and whatnot. Um, but I was really impressed with, I think, just how this game holds up from a visual standpoint. And if anything, I thought it it felt like this game had a little bit more personality in its visuals, perhaps, than some of the past versions that I'd played. Granted, those were, again, the HD collection, which as we've gone on at length, uh, you know, those are not the most ideal way to play those games. No. <laughs> um, but I thought at the same time, it was impressive to see a Western studio being allowed to take the reins of Silent Hill and to give it their own sort of, I suppose, visual flair, if you will. Um, did you feel that way in just revisiting it from a visual standpoint? Um, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> On a rare occasion, we disagree. <laughs> but, um, no, I think one of the most jarring things, coming back to it this time, I think was having, especially having played like two and three again, was, I don't know, there is something about the simplicity of those games and the way everything was presented that I liked. I just think this game is a bit too busy, you know, in terms of what it's doing. I know I've just argued the point, you know, it's got to be a Western sort of style and all that, but I don't like the HUD stuff. I don't like the, you know, having fucking health bar on the side of the screen like it is. And, and just the general adaptation of, you know, Christoph Gans is sort of, visual style from the film in this game you know in terms of the transition it's fine you know to do it if you can do it but it doesn't have the same pop for me you know even like the original Silent Hill which you know in, in many ways looks horrid horrid now but I really like the dingy changes between like Silent Hill as it is and as it becomes and 2 does that really well as well but here, I don't know, it just, it does just feel like the weakest points of this game are when it tries to pander too far to the Western side of things. So like having that Christoph Gans design, having that re you know, appropriated uh, pyramid head uh, in the bogeyman, <laughs> things like that I, I don't really care for. And so, yeah, visually, I think it's, quite unpleasant personally uh, on this game but yeah i don't to me that's not really like the, the strong point of it anyway my, my care for this game is more in terms of like what it adds to the lore of silent hill as a town and a place and you know all the history of it which ironically is usually what most people seem to hate is that a western developer would ever dare you know to um do that but yeah visually yeah, it's fine. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not saying it's like a technical disaster or anything. I just like aesthetically, I don't find it very pleasing. Mm. I think I found it to really fit the story that's being told here because of the fact that, you know, you play around a lot with the idea of an unreliable narrator. Mm. And so I think that visual style and it being, 
don't know about off. I wouldn't go so far as to say off putting, but I would say that it definitely is not this sort of pristine, I suppose, yeah. uh, visual style of anything. And it feels like it's fractured in a way. I feel like that really did sort of lend a hand to the fact that you're playing this narrative that as you learn, the more that you play it, it is a fractured truth of what is actually going on. Um, so I think from that standpoint, it worked for me. And I don't know, I really uh, appreciated Christoph Gans's film and the fact that he has those sort of visual flares to it. And to yeah. see that in the game, you know, maybe that's my love of the film coming through <laughs> a little bit more uh, than it should. But like, I really love those moments where you get to see, you know, the world peel away like wallpaper, basically. And then yeah. you have the otherness of Silent Hill and whatnot. So I think I'm a sucker for that. I do agree. It's pretty lame that they took the pyramid head and then they repackage it as like the bogeyman or whatever. And I was like, okay, like just at this point, just say it's pyramid head. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? They've dropped the shark with the nurses and the significance of that. Um, but I will say that one thing that was cool to see them take from the 2006 Silent Hill film and actually incorporate from a gameplay standpoint was yeah. light management, which mm. I believe was a first for the series at that point, because mm. when you you know are in the vicinity of nurses, if you allow your flashlight to shine on them, then it attracts them, much like in the film. So if you turn that off and you move around slowly, you can actually stealth your way through those segments. Hmm. And I really liked that because they quite literally recreate that hallway segment at one point in Homecoming where, you know, there's probably six or seven nurses that you have to get by. And, you know, if you feel like fighting them all you can, you'll probably die because, again, close quarters and multiple enemies doesn't really do the combat <laughs> a lot of favors. So using that stealth mechanic I thought was pretty cool, even if it is very sparingly used and it feels it's more, um, I suppose, of certain sections rather than being something you would ever rely on sort of naturally. You're yeah. almost cued every time that, to use that. Yes. Um, but I don't know, little bits like that I thought um, were reflective of, I suppose, Silent Hill as a multimedia franchise's history, if you will, and where it's come from and drawing inspiration from those other sources, whether it's always to the uh, benefit of the game, that's probably up for debate. But I think the fan, the movie fan in me uh, appreciated getting to see a little bit of that influence in the game itself, which, you know, it gave this game uh, some visual flair to it that perhaps was uh, not previously in Silent Hill. Yeah. So I think there's a thing around this sort of time where, certain franchises making the leap to a different generation especially had this struggle of looking different from what had come from like the ps2 era xbox mm. era and a lot of the limitations of the previous gens had made it um you know a lot more inventive in terms of like how visuals were presented and konami's games were really bloody good for that um from Pro Evolution Soccer to Metal Gear Solid 2 to Silent Hill 2 and 3, you know, they did so much with so little, you know, like the limitations were then in the gameplay terms, which, as you know, as you said, whatever you may think about the visual style here, uh, in gameplay terms, you know, there is more to from coming, undoubtedly. But visually, I just think it takes like a knockdown, you know, like Metal Gear Solid 4, was another one, even though that was still in house and still Kojima, and it was really good looking in its own way. It lost something of the style, you know, that I'd really liked with the previous games, and yeah, maybe it's a preference, maybe it's nostalgia for certain things, but 
you know, I've gone back to these games beforehand and these later games, and I still feel the same. You know, I I think Downpour is really fun. I like that one in this series, but as a game, it's so plain. You know, as a Silent Hill game on so many levels, but I don't really come to Silent Hill for the visuals. I suppose really beyond sure. So it's not as big a deal in this game, but yeah. it it was a bit of a weird thing even five years on from the last time I played it, to come back and look at it like this and go, hmm, yeah, there's things about this that just look muddy. And I I suppose it's looking back at that period in general with a very critical eye on where certain places franchises went and were going. Maybe influenced me more now in terms of how cynical I am about them. But yeah, it, it's, yeah, like I say, it's not a bad thing necessarily in terms of like, technical level stuff it is just preference i think it comes sure. down to well i guess while we're talking about uh changes to silent hills sort of formula or in this case uh, i suppose presentation mm. um you know we tried it a lot in the first half of the episode about the more action-oriented nature do you feel that that kind of butted into the traditional flow of a silent hill game in terms of going from the narrative to then puzzles and then boss fights did you feel that Homecoming kind of abided by almost the Silent Hill formula, or did you find the combat to be more disruptive to sort of the expectations of how a Silent Hill game plays out? Well, it doesn't feel like a Silent Hill game in that regard. You know, like I said, it, it evokes the spirit of it in terms of like, you know, it's more action oriented, but at least it does kind of feel like Silent Hill combat in certain senses, in terms of it's you know, very up close, intimate. And you know, visceral, but the balance on what you used to do, you know, as you were talking about earlier with the HD collection and like playing those earlier games, you know, how it was a much a case of running around and avoidance, which comes from that sort of earlier survival horror, you know, treacle controls and the nightmarish aspect of that, which is very intentional, as we know. When you have more freedom and you know, there's more enemies coming at you. It's a different kind of thing to approach, you know, and I don't know, you dread enemies in a different way than you used to. Mm -hmm. You know, back then it's like, I don't really have much ammo, combat is shit, and <laughs> so really my best chance is to avoid it as much as I can, which makes sense because that's the right mindset for the characters you are. You know, it's like, no, they don't really want to get into a confrontation, you know, beyond you know where they can't control the situation whereas here it's someone who believes that they are a capable fighter and kind of wants to get into these uh fracas and they do so that's fine i think again it does just come down to personal tastes in terms of how you go about it sure you could argue that to do combat like that in silent hill game doesn't isn't necessary um but if you're going to tell different stories you know, within it, then you are going to have a, a game that is more combat orientated. It's never as bad as, you know, the jump Resident Evil went, where it was like, it went from like, I have five bullets to last me for the next four hours to, you know, like, oh, I haven't got any more room for all the clips I've got in my inventory yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. So all it's falling out of your pockets. Yeah. So it's never that bad, but because... Silent Hill had come from this very, very limited 
palette, you know, to begin with. You even go back to those earlier games between those two franchises and the difference is remarkable, you know. It feels more punctuated when you do get a game that is like this, you know, in terms of combat. So, yeah, I I get it. I I get how it can really hurt the game for many people. And like I said, the combat itself is fine. You know, I, I, I... it works for the game, the story it's telling. I just, yeah, I could do with a better balance, maybe, I suppose. For fewer sections where combat is unavoidable. Mm. Because that's the thing that really does take away from the survival aspect. And, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, running away is a survival tactic in most instances when you're playing on, you know, whether it's a normal or hard difficulty, right? As yeah. you said. There are going to be sections of some survival horror games where you only have three or four bullets and those need to last you. So you really do have to pick the moments with which you can actually use them. And part of Homecoming, and it's kind of a double-edged sword for me because while I appreciate the more action-oriented nature, there's more reliance on melee combat, which then if you know a brunt of the sort of combat scenarios are reliant on melee combat you can't avoid some situations where it's like, if you want to progress, I'm thinking about like the sewer section, there's probably two or three instances in there where you basically get thrown into this like arena style Mm. approach to combat where you've got three or four of these guys that, you know, you can't attack them from the front. You have to strafe around them and hit them in the ass basically for their weak spot. But when you're fighting three of those at one time, that becomes, that turns into a clusterfuck basically any sort of semblance of a strategy you had one-on-one goes out the window when you've got those three creatures that all have the same benefits and then you know you might strafe around one but then the other two are still going to pounce on you at that moment and so there are more frustrating instances of combat that are facilitated in that arena style moments which you know there are a couple of instances of that throughout the game Mm -hmm. um, which were probably the weakest examples of more of a reliance on combat for me um yeah. That being said, I don't know. In terms of the puzzles as a whole, though, I would say like it's not the strength of this game in a way that it's been for the past games where the puzzles almost feel like just a place for you to catch your breath in between combat, which I don't think is the right approach to blending more combat into the Silent Hill experience, no. which, if anything, I think would probably be the most glaring instance where you could say, well, it's a Western studio that doesn't understand that balance. Um But at the end of the day, when you're talking about like the flow of a Silent Hill game outside of those instances, like I thought that they gave you more free reign of Silent Hill for the beginning of the game, which Mm -hmm. I liked where, you know, it basically gives you sort of these vague, you know, you need to explore cemetery and the rest of the town for this or that clue. I liked having a little bit more free reign to explore environments within Silent Hill, get to go explore town hall, Alex's house doctor's office, police station, these different locations. And, you know, I hesitate to say open world, but it felt like there was a little more freedom to explore. And in that freedom, you know, I would stumble upon different documents and these things that flesh out more of Silent Hill's history, which, you know, as you mentioned, I'm sure fans viewed as being sacrilegious, but I thought it was kind of interesting to learn about the fact that, you know, this town that we're in now that's not Silent Hill has this connection to Silent Hill and whatnot, and it has a connection to Alex and everything. Mm. Um, so I thought, I suppose, from a narrative standpoint, that was pretty interesting. But I'm curious for you, like in terms of overall Homecoming's narrative, um, does it feel 
in line with the series sort of theme of tortured protagonists in a compelling way? Um, yes, because I think what Alex has, you know, as a story, a backstory makes a lot of sense, you know, especially when you bring in this extra layer or two with the Silent Hill connection anyway. But we, we go back to what the bosses were about, you know, and what Alex's story is about. It all connects perfectly, you know. Even the the hellscape that's been created isn't just for him in a way, you know, which is always something that gets kind of left behind when people talk about Silent Hill games. As much as it is about the main characters, like personal hell slash limbo period, it's also you know there are other people sort of trapped in its sphere, you know, and they also kind of influence the way it goes. And because everyone's kind of sharing a certain kind of trauma here, and and that's not readily apparent in Alex, you know, to begin with, I was quite intrigued by the way it plays out. You know, like it kind of you know, nowadays you can be a little cynical and have, knowing everything that's going on, say, oh yeah, of course, yeah, I knew where that was going, sort of thing. But I think. The game puts a greater effort into building like Silent Hill as a place and have a history and having people in it, you know, who you can interact with. I mean, one of the things that really help sell the story is like interacting with NPCs, you know, in a way that you never really did before with multiple choice answers and stuff like that, which, you know, as I said, nowadays is nothing, you know, that the people would. You know, yeah, sure. Many games have that feature, but you know, for survival horror games, then and that was novel. That really was, and you know, I think it it was a really telling addition to the game in terms of getting you invested. And I, I go back to what you were saying earlier about you know having an unreliable sort of narrator, which again feels perfect for this kind of game. It means that as much as you are discovering and learning and getting the obvious answers you know, as you go along, you are left with this shred of doubt throughout you know, until you get those sort of final revelations. And I think the structure of it is quite admirable, to be fair. I think there's lots going on here and with combining the history with that sort of personal story that is going on and the tragedy that involved in all of the little stories that are going on for each you know, boss character, for each of the families involved and for Alex himself. It feels, you know, I mean, Downpour has a bit of it, you know, and Origins obviously a bit too. But something about this story feels more traditionally Silent Hill in terms of uh, how it's presented and how bleak it is, I suppose, as a, as a story, you know, like that. It could so easily have been a very different case, and I would totally have understood if it had been whiffed at this point. But I have to, you have to admire what goes into this story and the storytelling nature of it, because even if you take away from it being a Silent Hill game, I think it does some really good things you know, in where it goes. You can agree or disagree on like the character, the protagonist himself, in terms of how likable he is. But I don't think any character should be likable. 
in Silent Hill right, games. Yeah. You know, like the, the whole point of any Silent Hill game is no. Why would you have a likable character just because you are the character? You know, I love that, that. That's one of the best things about Silent Hill is that you are examining someone who is not perfect, who is doing things that are reprehensible. Yeah, that's it. You are not meant to feel glorious. And it, that just goes back to this thing about video games in general, which is, you know, power fantasy as, you know, the main narrative for being in a video game. And this isn't it. You know, this is actually quite like a, a forebearer of what we would get in sort of the choose your own adventure style games that Telltale or whatever would put out. And many games are sort of copied on from since in terms of like really darkening the idea that you aren't a perfect person, giving you moral choices that are a bit more grey without being, you know, sitting on the fence and getting splinters sort of thing. You know, so yeah, I, I think there's so much about this story that is actually quite important in terms of how games have gone going forward. Especially in Western studios, you know, like that and yeah, I think maybe it deserves a bit more credit. Even though it's it's not perfect and it's obviously flawed in, in many different little ways. I think the intention is there for something that is dark and honest and, yeah, works as a Silent Hill story. Yeah, you know, I think Alex himself is fairly unremarkable, but I think Mm. him being a pawn in the story that's being told is actually handled better than was being given, uh, you know, I think the proper praise from what I was reading online before uh, recording with you, just because... Mm. You know, from the outset, clearly there's something strange about the fact that a soldier's returning home from war and he's not being greeted with like the Tinker Tape Parade, right, from anybody that he meets. And the fact that, you know, there clearly is some type of animosity between him and his family. Mm. And I think that the way in which they kind of bury the lead and the twist essentially of him being this unreliable narrator is really inserted in a smart way because of the fact that, you know, up until a certain point, you really can't guess what his that true backstory is, and you begin to formulate, you know, a couple of viable potential outcomes of why he's being received the way that he is. Um, and I think at the same time, you know, when you talk about shifting from the developers that have been, you know, there since the beginning and whatnot to then a Western studio, the fact that they're able to take a story such as this to shroud it in a general, you know, amount of mystery, I suppose, uh, without it being so blatantly obvious. Yeah. And at the same time, it having an outcome that, uh, well, granted, there's multiple endings that are reliant on your um, dialogue options and whatnot through interactions with NPCs and everything, Um, which, you know, as you mentioned it, the fact that you have dialogue options with NPCs was actually one element that initially I thought was kind of intrusive in terms of like shaking up the Silent Hill formula. But the more that I was utilizing them, I actually came to appreciate them because it let me interact with the residents of Silent Hill in a way, clearly, that you've never been able to previously, Hmm. which, if anything, allowed Silent Hill to take on almost more personality uh, or, you know, Shepherd's Glen and whatnot, to take on more personality than in the past, which I think was, I really appreciated, especially considering this was now my fourth or fifth Silent Hill game that I've played, just because of, you know, you're never going to be able to capture the beautiful vagueness of 2, right? There's something about Silent Hill 2 that is indemnable to it, the fact that, you know, 
that game's story plays out the way that it does, but a good deal of the atmosphere is crafted from these weird people with weird responses to very normal questions and situations. And in this game, actually getting like straight answers the majority of the time, or some of the time, um, allowed, I think, the backstory of Alex of Shepherd's Glen and of Silent Hill itself to really kind of flourish in a way that was more straightforward, but at the same time more refreshing in not just constantly being like, I want to see behind the curtain. Yeah. It's actually getting to get a peek behind that periodically um, that I think allowed me to be more invested in the journey rather than in perhaps always the individual. Um, because Alex himself is kind of like, okay, I want to know the mystery, but the mystery is more interesting perhaps than anything he really has to contribute um, a majority of the time. And every time he opens his mouth to speak, the the voice acting, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's kind of grating. It, it killed me a little bit. And that's as somebody that obviously played Silent Hill too and knows how uh, at odds sometimes quality was with the voice acting. But that was part of that you know, surreal charm, I suppose. Yeah. Um, whereas here- it's a little more straightforward, so perhaps the grading voice acting, uh, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> was a bit of more of an ear sore. Yeah, I, and I completely understand where you're coming from there because when you look at those two game, games together, one isn't really trying to be a video game in Silent Hill Two; it's trying to be an experience. It's trying to evoke emotion. Yeah, it's not going down the traditional routes of what a video game should do and be and all that stuff. And this is exactly where you can see why Homecoming is so divisive for anyone who really loves that game. Is it's a video game, you know, in so many ways. You know, like in terms of like mechanics, like the things we've discussed about positives in terms of how it works, are very much Western ideas of what video games should be, and that's great. You know, like sometimes you can have a game to be like that and it works but i suppose you look at japanese games of a certain era you know that silent hill 2 was a part of there was such a striking artfulness about them you know where you could they transcended being video games in so many ways and some games had you know very video game parts to them but they were weaker video games by what many people would establish the idea of what they should be you know that and they would get criticized in western media for that very reason you know it's why i'm always fascinated by like metal gear solid 2 for more than being a game you know that it's the things it does it's you know the mechanics of it aren't traditional they are not pleasant in the sense that you would normally accept for a video game and that's great because it's abrasive and it does something different. And Silent Hill 2 did something different. And I think games like uh, Ico or, or Shadow of the Colossus took this idea of what a video game could be and morphed it into something else. And that alienated a certain audience, you know, like that, who wanted games to be more like Homecoming is. Yeah, and I suppose that was the war of the time. You know, especially in that era where Japanese developers were struggling to adapt to the new generation of video game players brought on by the Call of Duty generation, if you will. You know, this, this comes a year after Call of Duty has really blown up as a thing uh, and, you know, Oblivion has come out and that's the thing. And Resident Evil 4 came and changed survival horror completely. So 
to adapt is a difficult thing. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you stay in the lane you're in, you're going to sell terribly and yes, you'll probably get a few hand claps from the people that appreciate it, but it's not going to spell great times for the future of your franchise at that point. Yeah, and that was a thing I think many Eastern developers struggled with at the time as Western developers started to take the reins a bit more in terms of global business of the whole thing rather than art. You know, being like the forefront of ideas and the way things actually go. So yeah, this game, I suppose, in so many ways ends up representing that sort of struggle that went on, not in, only in Silent Hill, but just in gaming in general at the time, which is, here's the Western idea, here's the Eastern idea. Those that grew up on a certain type might hang on to the idea of what Eastern games gave them, but Western games are doing this, you know, you've got this the new Fallout, the new Elder Scrolls games, and Mass Effects, and Resident Evil has gone in this direction, Resident Evil 5, and then, yeah, it's it was a war in itself, and Silent Hill, as it was as a franchise, it, it was probably more controversial to turn into this. You know? Whether it was good, bad, or whatever, it was a franchise that probably the least likely to do this big shift into something else. And it might have been more palatable had it been a Japanese developer doing that. I think with that sort of culture war that was going on at the time, that it was a Western developer just really didn't help it. Sure. Yeah, it was kind of just the image of what the new the new frontier, if you will, of what Silent Hill would be. Mm. Uh, that was going to be a tough pill to swallow no matter who was behind it. Uh, that was not, you know, the original team silent and everything and you know as anything uh we've seen that has a great fandom behind it uh change is not always uh you know no. welcomed into warm arms uh unfortunately but uh we had a good bevy of uh listener comments this week yes um and you know we always love to hear from people so if anybody is listening ever wants to share their thoughts on a game uh we have or are going to cover of course you guys can reach out to us uh on Twitter at Safe Room Pod or on uh, our Gmail, which is saferoompod at gmail.com. But first up is uh, Jordan King, who says that they found that Silent Home Homecoming has some of the best boss designs and music in the series. That was one thing we didn't note. Uh, Akira Yamamoka returned yeah. um, to do the score, and it's arguably one of the best of the series. Um, I think that that's probably like one of the elements of homecoming that allowed me to perhaps kind of just sink right back into silent hill mode if you will right it's the type of thing where the atmosphere i found to be something that's a continuation and you know the music is just as important as that atmosphere yeah i mean he's been great at doing music for games you know whether it be whatever the quality i suppose i think we found that with the medium yeah um you know his involvement in that made uh, the music side of it very good and yeah, that, that, that's fine and good and you know the fact that he's involved in sort of the Silent Hill 2 remake as well means it's one of the people we wanted to be there for it to be in good hands as well so yeah I, you know, I totally agree it, it has good music it couldn't be anything other than you know when you have him involved 
And, you know, just to sort of point out here while we're here, we, you know, Jordan's game, Night at the Gates of Hell, is on mm-hmm. consoles right now. And if you haven't yep. played it on PC, good chance there. Play that game now. And be sure to go back to listen to our chat on that because that was one of our favorite games of last year. That's it. Next up is Nicolo Grasso, who said that they found Homecoming to be quite underwhelming of an experience with a lackluster narrative that borders on offensive and pandering. Some of its design elements could be excused if it were a standalone game because it really sticks out like a sore thumb in the franchise. Personally, they found it to be their least favorite. So I guess that raises a question for me. Were Did the Silent Hill games that came after Homecoming stick with that third-person close-up action-oriented nature of combat, or did it abandon it due to the you know reception of Homecoming? No, I mean, Dampol had it. Uh, okay. To, to without a doubt, I think though Shattered Memories comes after this, and that's a very different game. Uh, gotcha. In terms of that, you know, that Sam Barlow, uh, you know, of immortality fame, you know, and that was quite well received uh, by compare. I think mainly because people were starved of Silent Hill being Silent Hill, but you know, Downpour was like the last proper game, I suppose, after the, in that run and. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, personally, I would say it's probably the weakest. But, you know, I still have a fondness for it as a game. But I I can totally understand how people feel about Homecoming and feeling like that about it. Because, you know, the nuance and the ambiguity that made earlier games work isn't there. A lot more is out there and explained. Um, But, you know, Personally, I feel that that's fine for the kind of game that it was, who it was by, and what they were doing. Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of it being, you know, excused if it were a standalone game, I don't know. I think that it being called Silent Hill Homecoming and not just, you know, Silent Hill 5 um, perhaps gives it a bit more breathing room in terms of experimentation. But that's my two cents. Like I said, I've, uh, I haven't been there since day one, like most people that came to Homecoming. So my opinion, uh, maybe <laughs> most people don't care for. But uh, next up is Amneville Kevin, uh, who says, though some of its design leaves you with that copy of a copy feeling since it takes heavy cues from the Silent Hill movie, it has an engaging take on melee combat, stellar boss designs, and nails its vibe. It's underrated for sure. You know, from again coming from my unique perspective, um, I would say that for a game that takes as big of a swing as this does in terms of again the melee combat, stellar boss design is obviously something that everybody can appreciate. Um, I would say that it connects more often than it doesn't. I went into it personally assuming that this was going to be kind of like a a total derailment for the series, where if anything, I saw this as an experiment that has positives to it, but like any experiment, perhaps it could be messy uh, when it, you know, is uh, too far removed perhaps from the ex- the experience that people have come to know. Yeah. It's that whole DMC Devil May Cry thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's like, That's a perfect comparison. Because yeah, it's something that people didn't want, but it was there, it was made, and it's hard to get past that. You know, if you don't want something to be made, like a remake or something or, or a new entry in a film series maybe that you from someone you don't like you're mm. gonna be checked out from the beginning you, you can't help that and i totally get that we've all been there with that but yeah it's always gonna be difficult but i think time has been kinder on it 
you know, for for this game, for all the games that followed the first three. Yeah, you know, even Silent Hill Four: The Room was like a disappointment. Yeah, you know, to begin with, yeah, you know, because it wasn't those first three games and it felt different like that. But it grew in appreciation in time. Now that had the benefit of being still within that sort of dynamic of the original bunch, but even so, it had to fight. And I think I go back to what I was saying earlier. You know, the idea of what Silent Hill should be had stemmed from those earlier games, and because the PlayStation. The you know they had the first one, that one kind of got lost to time in so many ways in terms of what people think of it and you know how you know, ugly it is just by aesthetics. At times, I get it, but um, yeah, this is, yeah, you know, this is a game that's going to get that kind of um contentious feeling. Next up is Frendo Palrizian, which is a fan. <laughs> Fantastic Twitter name, um, who says that they are a massive Silent Hill fan. They respected the attempt, but it felt very underwhelming. There was a very unlikable protagonist, and the inclusion of Pyramid Head was a terrible decision. They really wanted to like it, but got stuck due to the janky combat. We kind of uh, shared a, a similar feeling in that, you know, perhaps Alex's plight is more interesting than the actual character themselves yeah. based on what they offer up. Um, and, you know, as we said, jumping the shark in terms of the significance of characters like Pyramid Head or the nurses and whatnot, I understand that's going to be a tough pill for Silent, Hi- Silent Hill diehards to swallow. But uh, perhaps for me, I'm kind of like, you know, at this point, they are the uh, the staples, if you will, of the franchise. So when you have a de- Western developer coming in, you could say, oh, well, you know, I it's kind of hard to turn your nose up at these creatures and monsters that are synonymous with the series yeah. at this point. You, you, yeah, it's difficult. You, you've you got to have some connection, otherwise you're accused of taking it too far the wrong way. Yes. Like I said, you can't win you know, when, when <laughs> exactly. in that position because you can't <laughs> ape what's come before because you get accused of being a copycat and you can't do your own thing because then, you know, you're a heathen that's doing... Again, Death May Cry, DMC, Death May Cry. It, it's that, isn't it? All over again. And, you know, the point of you know unlikable protagonists we brought up earlier it's like that's the point i think you know i suppose it depends on the terms of what you think unlikable is you know i get that you want to feel some sort of connection with, with a protagonist because you should i suppose to some degree yeah you, you know, you've got to feel sorry for them for a bit but you're allowed to have the swerve that makes you think oh no this is a fucking awful person fuck off like that and i, I personally think it goes more that way you know and yeah it that's the sign of the better ones. You know, ironically, I think downpour, which, you know, has like a convicted criminal as like a protagonist takes it maybe a little too far the other way when you know, like making you like go, Oh, look, he's a bad guy. He's been on the prison like that and tries to push it the other direction slightly. But here, I, I think it's the perfect, you know, with the revelations that come out of it, it makes sense. You know, sure. they, they, he's unlikable. And, I'm all for more unlikable protagonists. You shouldn't just yeah. like them because you're staring at their ass for fucking 20 hours. It's fine. <laughs> it's like, it's like... Well, that's the thing, right? I think that, you know, when you're talking about storytelling in any medium, the complicated or, you know, characters that you have conflicted feelings about are ultimately will end up being the more interesting. Mm. If you If they're just good or just blatantly bad, it's like, okay, well, there's two halves to that that person um so to have somebody that you know has shades of gray if you will 
ultimately will make them far more interesting. And I think that yeah. the unreliable narrator portion of it um, is able to string that along a lot farther, I think, in the course of the narrative than if you know it comes right out the gate or halfway through or something like that. And then you kind of have to be like, well, how do I feel about this person? Whereas <laughs> here, you know, it strings you along uh, quite nicely, I would say. Um, and last but not least is Gage Awesome Possum, who says, I respect why people hate this game. That being said, it's one of the few games I got 100% on of achievements. I love it, despite its obvious flaws. Uh, that old <laughs> argument, you know, this game is terrible, but I got 100% on it. Uh, <laughs> I've been there. I, I, I'm fully with them there. I've completed some absolute dog shit games and been like, yep, I'm kind of fond of it because I got 100% now. Like the hero, you know, the TV series Heroes had a game called Heroes Reborn. Oh god! Like a first person, I hundred percent did that. I fucking loved it. It was great fun. I could, I could see that case on the GameSpot shelf, at yeah. the GameStop shelf. I think mine was probably the equivalent would be uh, the Burger King Sneak King game when yeah. they were selling games for like five bucks or something for whatever reason. And it was like you play that game for twenty minutes, and that's a quick hundred percent on the achievements. <laughs> or um, I mean, my best example in a game I really fondly love, knowing it's terrible. Yeah, you know, is murdered soul suspect. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you know, because it's like it's clearly unfinished as a game mm-hmm. like that. But I, I played it to completion, knowing it had a fairly easy platinum trophy. Got for it like that, and yeah, you know, I I enjoyed it. I really got into the atmosphere of it. Sometimes trophies actually do kind of help you enjoy games in a different way, like that. And sometimes they have the opposite effect and you can really like ruin a good game because you're too focused on trophies. You know, that's personally, that's not a thing I'd care about anymore, but I did, you know, when I started out in like games journalism, that was my first sort of time period was like um, trophy hunting. You know, like that, that, Mm. that's how I got my sort of jump into this in terms of like writing about that sort of thing. And yeah, it was just wonderful, you know, to have a game that was, shit you know in so many ways you know but it did something that uh, it was the closest i get to those films you watch you know that are that way you know like you don't feel like you wasted your time but you know they're not great you know like that and like that and video games that's much harder because you spend so much more time on them Mm -hmm. so you know i i kept this horror themed at least in saying that you know that, that that game is um a gem. One day we will cover that actually. I, I think because yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like about it. For sure. No, I you know I, I fondly remember achievements from this era when you know Homecoming was released um, because as somebody that like didn't have a great deal of uh, extra funds to be buying games, that was mm-hmm. how I got my replay value. Right, is that you went through the achievement lists online and whether it was just replaying on a harder difficulty or meeting these certain requirements, some of them you know could be. Uh, ridiculous at some points, but yeah. at the same time, it provided an extra layer of replayability of challenge. And you wore that as like a badge of honor, basically, uh, until, you know, one day you woke up and you're like, wow, I'm glad I spent all these hundreds of hours doing shit that nobody actually cares about. And there's no <laughs> real monetary uh, investment no. past, you know, uh, Xbox Live points or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for our chat on Homecoming. 
yet again, me, you know, facilitating my need to dive into Silent Hill. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of other entries clearly that I still haven't played. So who's to say, uh, you know, it's the last Silent Hill chat we'll have. And considering what the future of Silent Hill yeah. looks like with those, you know, the plethora of Silent Hill releases that we've, uh, you know, mentioned ad nauseum at this point, uh, we'll definitely have lots more Silent Hill talk to come but we can say for next week we'll be joined by two terrific guests to chat about uh remedies control uh you mm. know we're fully anticipating alan wake 2 and whatnot and uh you know we can't help ourselves we got to dive back into that that uh as we learned shared universe to a certain degree mm. um but control is a game that you know we both had on our list of things that we wanted to play uh, when we were kind of like getting the podcast started and chatting about. Um, and it's great to have that opportunity, especially yeah. leading up to Alan Wake 2. Um, but that's going to do it for this week. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Back at you. Until the next time. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. As always, our main episodes for Safe Room drop every Monday, but our bite-sized episodes of Horror Bites, our indie horror showcase, drop every Thursday. Follow our Horror Bites Twitter account at HorrorBites underscore SR. Join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. And finally, once again, Send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we have or are going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.